Okay, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and, and how it guides and shapes us. I pray that you would speak to us through it this evening. Pray you would uh, speak through me. Help us to see you in, uh, more clearly. Help us to understand how you have called us to live and just the, the treasure that the gospel is. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> All right, it's, it's been a couple weeks. So two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, my math might be off. Three weeks ago, we finished up Romans chapter 5. And in that passage, what we saw is that we are justified by our faith. It is not by our works that we are justified. There's nothing that we can do to, to be justified in God's sight. And what I mean by that, what the Bible means by that, is that to be seen as righteous in the eyes of God, you have to put your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. There is no other way for us to achieve the status of righteousness other than through Christ. We also saw that the law came to increase as Paul says, to increase the trespass of sin so that grace would reign through Christ. Meaning that, meaning that the purpose of the law was to show us our sin, was to expose the sin within us so that we would run to Christ, so that we would see our need for a savior. The law brings with it knowledge of sin, but that leads to this question, is of if we are justified in the eyes of God, then are we to, to sin so that grace would abound, meaning that so that the grace of God would be shown even brighter? And Paul's answer to this question is by no means. What this question comes from is, is really a desire to continue sinning. And at first you might be thinking that this is a ridiculous question. If you've grown up in the church, you know that, that sin has no place in the life of a Christian. If you've been through us or with us through this Roman study, you know that sin has no place in the life of a Christian. But sin is like weeds. It'll, it'll pop up and grow where you least expect it. And that's what this question comes from. Someone who, who believes in Jesus Christ, who understands parts of the gospel, but then sees an opportunity for sin. It's not as ridiculous of a question as we might think it, it's a question that Paul is obviously combating. If, if you're forgiven of all your sin and that reveals the grace of God, why wouldn't we keep sinning so that God could forgive us so that his grace abounds all the more? Meaning his grace continues to be shown even brighter. It's a, it's a way that we might even convince ourselves to sin, that sin is okay. If you, haven't, if you haven't asked that question before, maybe you've thought in the midst of temptation, I mean, 
Jesus will forgive me anyways, right? Why couldn't I sin? It's just sin, forgiveness, sin, forgiveness. I was listening to a podcast this week and they were talking about this balance of of law and gospel. And he was talking about this temptation to sin and the cheap grace that comes with that. And he said, essentially, the mindset is I like to sin. God likes to forgive. This is going to be a great relationship. I can sin. God can forgive. That's what he wants to do. This is what I want to do. Why wouldn't we all? This is just perfect, right? Thank you, Elijah. (laughs) All right, you guys can go to your growth groups. Uh, (laughs) Being under grace does not mean that we can live however however we want. Being under grace means that we live in a different or with a different standard. If you haven't been tempted like this, like this idea of like, oh, Jesus can forgive me. He, he wants to forgive me. I promise you, you will at some point. So be prepared for that. Understand that the gospel does not open the door for sin. John Calvin says it this way. He says, nothing can be more inconsistent than that the grace of Christ, the repairer of righteousness, should nourish our vices. Basically saying that that Christ nourishing our sin, pushing us towards sin, is wildly inconsistent with the message of the gospel and the character of God. Sin is not meant to emphasize the grace of God and his forgiveness. If anything, the grace of God is shown even more in the fact that he equips us to obedience. He equips us so that we can obey him. God giving us the ability to go and sin no more shows far more grace than this blanket forgiveness that that Paul is combating here. There is no benefit to sin in the life of the Christian. 1 Peter 4.1 says that believers have ceased from sin. They have stopped sinning. And that doesn't mean that that if you continue to sin, you aren't a believer. Don't hear that. What that's saying is that we have made a commitment to stopping our sin, to turning from our sin and fighting against it. For the Christian, the only, there is only benefit in living the life that God has called us to live, in living a life that is pleasing to him. So let's look back at verse, verse 1. Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is the first benefit of of living with Christ is that we get new life. We aren't stuck in our old ways. We Sure, we still may be combating the same sins, but God has equipped us for obedience. These questions that Paul keeps asking really show the ridiculousness of the opening question. Should we sin so that grace may abound? He says, do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? Or all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death so that we would have newness of life. By being baptized, I mean, this is clearly an expectation here. If you're a Christian, then you've been baptized. If you're a Christian, then you have followed the commands of Christ and you have been baptized. That doesn't mean that baptism saves you, but it's out of obedience that you, you partake in this sacrament that symbolizes death to sin and, and being raised in new life. It's a command in scripture. So again, just another encouragement to take the baptism class and be baptized. We're baptizing at the end of this month. So if you haven't been, do so. Um, Anyways, baptism visually shows what has happened to us spiritually. It doesn't add anything spiritually. It doesn't mean that, that if you've professed faith and you haven't been baptized that you are uh, less of a Christian. But it means that we are, we are publicly committing to Christ. We are publicly showing our union with him. First Corinthians 10 to, or in 1 Corinthians 10.2, Paul states that the Israelites were baptized into Moses. They weren't physically baptized. That doesn't happen in Exodus. But they're saying that, that by going, crossing the Red Sea, they're declaring their union with Moses. That he is their leader. That he is the one that they're depending on. He's the one that goes between them and God. And they're depending upon him. Through baptism, we are doing the same thing. We are professing Christ as our Lord and Savior, the one that we depend on and the one that we follow, the one that we submit to. If you aren't submitting to Christ, then how can you call yourself a Christian? Baptism shows us, shows us and our community our union with Jesus. The old has passed away. Why would we still walk in it? Jesus doesn't walk in sin. So why would we walk in it? As Christians, as disciples, followers, slaves of Christ, we walk in the new and not in the old. We are united with Christ in in newness of life. That brings us to this next benefit. So the first benefit was new life in Christ. This next benefit of, of our faith is that we are set free from sin. Verse five says, for, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. What he's, what he's talking about here is this, this resurrection is not looking forward to the last days of of the bodily resurrection that we will experience. That is a biblical truth. That if that one day we will all be resurrected and then we will be judged according to our works. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. His focus is this resurrection to new life. That we have been raised to, to life with Christ. John, John MacArthur says, as an old life died, so a new one was necessarily born. It is necessary that the old life is replaced with a new one. That we are now walking with Christ, not in sin. So if that old life is dead, why would we still walk in it? Why would we still partake in the things that we were once ashamed of? 
That brings us to this third benefit, life in Christ. Verse 8, now if you have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. This isn't an uncertain belief, but this is a confident belief, an assurance here that we will also live with Christ. Verse 9, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Jesus' death not only killed or set us free from sin, but it also brought us new life. That we are equipped with the ability through the Holy Spirit to walk in obedience. That we love the things that God loves and we hate the things that God hates. Our unity with Christ means that death and sin no longer have dominion over us. Death and sin no longer control us. We have no fear of death and we are not enslaved to sin any longer. And what that also means is that we have a savior who is not under the dominion of death. That he will not die again. When he was resurrected, he didn't die again. Instead, he ascended into heaven. Death has no dominion over Christ because his victory is certain. And we can be fully confident in that fact. We can have full faith and assurance in the victory of Christ. As Christians, Paul is yet again making it clear that we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. That in our resurrection from the old life to the new, we are following in his footsteps, walking in newness of life. Just as Jesus died to sin, so did we. He freed us from sin, so why would we go back? Israel didn't go back to Egypt after they were freed from Egypt. Sure, they groaned and complained about it, but God brought discipline upon them, right? Why would we go back to the old way of living if we have been freed from it? Our former slave master, why would we go back to him? Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not obey your, or do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. I'm going to repeat that, that last verse again. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And that's our application right there for this first section. That we, are, we turn from our sin. It has no dominion over us, so why would we continue in it? As a Christian, you should be ceasing from sin. You should be killing your sin. Otherwise, as John Owen says, and I feel like I repeat this all the time, but your sin will be killing you. If you aren't killing your sin, your sin will continue to grow and will choke you out. You cease from sin. The sin that you were caught in, 
The sin that you are caught in currently has no power over you if you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, you have been freed from sin and you can kill that sin by working alongside him, by depending upon him. By participating in sin, we are participating in death. The wages of sin is death. That's what it says at the end of Romans 6. So why would we continue to participate in death and destruction when we have new life given to us freely? Why would you continue in what brought you shame? If you are a Christian, kill your sin. Depend upon God. Get accountability from a mature believer. Be killing your sin. There should be a desire within you to kill your sin. James 1, 14 to 15 says, but each person, this is the growth of sin, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That's what comes for all of us if we continue to be enslaved to sin. So if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, do so. Depend on Christ for eternity and for eternal life and salvation. For the forgiveness of your sins. Your sins will only bring death and destruction. Believer, if you are caught in your sin, turn again to the gospel and kill your sin. So that's our first point. We are, as believers, we kill our sin. We turn from our sin. But we don't just turn from sin. As scripture makes clear, we also turn to righteousness. We'll start back up again at verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. That leads Paul to another, excuse me, to another question. Verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. This is again a ridiculous question for the believer. Just because we are under grace doesn't mean that we don't live up to a standard of righteousness. By saying we are under grace, Paul is not saying that we are free to live however we want. That's, what, that's what's called antinomianism. I've talked about this in the past, but, but antinomianism is the belief that, it's, it's, uh, that we are anti-law, that we are not, not under any law whatsoever. So we can live freely however we want, that there's just this blanket forgiveness, which means you can continue to live in your sin. I mean, that's that's an old, ancient heresy. Paul's addressing it here in Scripture, and yet it's still alive today. This is why church history is so important. That when we know church history, we know the heresies that have been fought against in the past— And we can continue to combat them and see them as clear as the light of day. Antinomianism is is this teaching that we can live however we want. And telling people, that telling people how to live, that there is this standard of righteousness, you know, as, as scripture calls us to. Antinomians believe that, that telling people how to live is legalism and is anti gospel. But that is simply not true. In Matthew 5, Jesus is clear that that he didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. One commentator says this. He says, It would be strange and contradictory if those who are under grace 
should evidence a manner of life inferior to the standard held by those who are under the law. Basically saying that, that if we are under grace, it would, be, it would be inconsistent with the gospel that we should continue to live in unrighteousness when those who are under, law, under the law live to a higher standard than us. And yet they aren't even saved. As believers, we are called to a higher standard of obedience and there should be a desire to obey. God tells us that he will give us a heart that wants to obey, a spirit that can obey him. Paul calls us to this in verse 16. He says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in a human, in, sorry, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. In verse 19, Paul makes it clear that he uses this illustration of slaves to something to help us to understand what we're doing. Either way, we're obeying someone. So if we are continuing in our sin, we are, we are still enslaved to sin. We are saying that that sin is still our slave master, even though sin has no power over us. If we are obeying Christ, we are saying that we are slaves of Christ. That's what the apostles called themselves, slaves to Jesus. We should see ourselves as slaves to Christ. And, and Jesus makes the same point both in John eight thirty four and in the Sermon on the Mount, that we can't serve two masters. You can't be a slave to sin and a slave to God. Either you, you break off your slavery to sin and continue in, in righteousness, or you're just a slave to sin, which leads to death. You have to pick a side. You can't just stand in the middle. Yes, we are freed from the law, but that doesn't mean we don't continue to obey. We are freed, when, when Paul says that we are freed from the law, he says that, he is saying that we are freed from, a, uh, from the guilt associated with the law. We are, we are not freed from obedience to God. The law is a reflection and an expression of God's character. And if we are Christians, if we are followers of Christ, then, why, then we have to reflect God's character. There should be a desire within us to reflect God's character. Look back at verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who, once, who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. This is the grace of God. That not only are we forgiven, but we are given the ability, to, the ability to be obedient from our heart. We are expected to put on righteousness. 
Throughout scripture, there is a call to put off sin and to put on righteousness. That we don't just kill sin, but we foster new life in righteousness. The Old Testament prophets said, stop sinning, return to God, or you're facing destruction. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, don't think like this. You may have heard it said this, but here's what I tell you. Think this way. Don't be anxious. Seek first the kingdom. Don't ignore my teaching. Obey my teaching. In the epistles, they, the apostles write to, to put off unrighteousness and to put on righteousness. And all of that is no different than the Old Testament prophets. Stop sinning. Return to God. Stop going t- directly towards destruction. That's kind of how it reads when we read the Old Testament prophets, right? We know what is coming for them. And yet Israel is blinded by their sin, thinking that Babylon can save them, that Assyria can save them, that Egypt can save them. Our sin cannot save us. Our sin will not bring us the joy that we are looking for. Instead, it will bring death and destruction that is greater than what Babylon did to Israel. That is more permanent than what Babylon did to Israel. The only way to avoid that that destruction is through Christ and Christ alone. We must always replace our sin with obedience, our wickedness with righteousness. And all of this, all of this only becomes because God has freely given given it to us. And that brings us to our third point that we relish, that we rejoice in this free gift. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit of the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul closes out this section by calling us to look forward to the end of our obedience. That it is for the joy that is set before us, eternal life in Christ Jesus, that we obey. It's not for anything else. Not for our pride, not to make us feel good, not just because that's what other Christians do. (laughs) we obey because God has called us to we obey because we are slaves to righteousness our obedience comes from our heart and that should lead us to worship because God has given that to us freely we didn't deserve that there was nothing we did to gain that but instead he loved us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross so that we could put our faith in him and be given new life in Christ. All of this theology about salvation and sanctification, about about being justified, about being saved and becoming more like Christ, shouldn't lead us to anything other than worship. This head knowledge by itself is worthless unless it leads us to glorifying God because of how gracious and forgiving and wonderful he is. 
So Christian, turn from sin, turn to obedience, and worship God out of a heart that wants to obey. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and and for how it calls us to worship through theology. I pray that this wouldn't all just be head knowledge, but that this would go to our hearts, that we would long to obey, and that we would see you more clearly because of what we know about you. Thank you for these students and their, their, uh, their longing for you. I pray that our small group time would be fruitful, that it would be, that it'd be a time of deep fellowship with one another, and a, a time where we learn more about you and that we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.